Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Cross Time podcast. Uh, we're doing the first of our two bonus episodes that we promised uh, on a Friday, this last Friday. We're a couple days later than what I hoped we'd be, but uh, or I guess we technically promised it on Saturday. Um, I was hoping to get it done yesterday. Uh, wasn't able to due to kind of time restrictions, but I'm, I'm here now. Uh, we're getting these done Monday before we do the normal Monday episode later tonight. Uh, should be with Wyatt as well. I haven't checked with him, but I imagine he'll be good to do the podcast uh, as normal for our Monday show. But regardless, uh, this is the first of our two bonus episodes we've talked about. And these are both franchise focus episodes where we kind of take a deeper dive into a specific NBA franchise. Firstly, their current excuse me, current team, record, direction, the last few years, what things look like going forward, where they've been, kind of things of that nature. Then we look more into their history as far as uh, teams and players from the past. Specifically, we pick one team and one player to kind of look into and talk at length uh, about. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. So the first episode here... So we're doing a specific franchise for each of these two bonus episodes. This is the first of those episodes. And in this one, we'll be talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, They have been a team in the NBA since uh, 1970. They were an expansion team that year. Um, Shortly after the Bucks and Suns. So the Bucks and Suns had only been teams for a year or two. And then the Cavaliers were brought into the NBA uh, so since 1970, they've been around. Uh, their all-time winning percentage, 463, not bad. Not the greatest, but not bad. Um, they have played as their 53rd season uh, they're playing currently in the NBA. Uh, we'll start with the, the you know, recent years. Um, of course, the last five years, the season included, this is all post-LeBron championship era i guess you'd say it uh of course when lebron was drafted he was drafted by the Cavs, played there from 03 to 2010 then was infamous in ohio for several several years because of his decision to leave the Cavs for the heat in free agency uh for the 2014 2015 season lebron returned as a free agent and spent four more seasons in cleveland uh in during which time they're one of the best teams in the nba probably the best team in the Eastern Conference, hands down. Um, Four consecutive finals trips, the second of which they won after overcoming a 3-1 deficit. You know, we know plenty about that. Um, And then in 2018, after that fourth season of the second stint, LeBron decided to sign with the Lakers in free agency. And so this was less of a – while it was still probably a bit jarring because the – the team had been structured up to that point for these continual title chases. Uh, And then as soon as LeBron pulls the plug, then that's the end of your title chase, at least for the next while. Uh, You know, they still had Kevin Love. They had uh, the solid role players, Tristan Thompson. um, I want to say George Hill would have still been a contract guy. J.R. Smith, you know, some of those guys or they were expiring contracts, whatever the case is, it was now time to kind of start things from scratch. And, uh, you know, I think they've built pretty well. Um, 
you look at the win percentage since the 2018-2019 season, that was the first year without LeBron since the 2014-2015 season, or no, excuse me, 2013-2014. And they went from 232 that year to 292 to 306 to 537, making a big leap. And then this season so far, they're 604. They're they're winning 60% of their games so far this season. Um, And, uh, you know, I think – Coaching has been solid so far. I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff uh, took over for for John Bailing, who I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was the Michigan head coach who was signed on with Cleveland, thought it would be a nice hire. Kind of a weird tenure, didn't even last a full season before he was fired or replaced with Bickerstaff right before the season uh, suddenly got shut down due to COVID. But then the next year, I mean, the the Cavs were were struggling. Then the very next year, that's when they made the breakthrough, made the play in, uh, made the play in tournament with Evan Mobley breaking out as a rookie, um, Darius Garland having an All Star season, Jared Allen, and so they've been building, of course, and that kind of leads us into the current roster um, where they're at. If we're talking about our power rankings, if we want to connect it to the current podcast stuff that we're talking about. Um, in our power rankings, the Cavs have been this season hanging out in that top 10 group for the last several weeks. They've been one of the top teams in the NBA for pretty much the whole season. And in the offseason, we expected them to be good and improved with uh, the addition of Donovan Mitchell. Of course, that's a big thing. There was a trade with the Jazz. They, the Cavs gave up Larry Markinen. Um of course, their recent lottery pick, uh, Ochai Agbaji, uh, and Colin Sexton to the Jazz in return for Donovan Mitchell, but they also gave up draft picks, so that helps the Jazz future. But uh, for the Cavs, the draft situation isn't as pivotal because they've been able to accrue this lineup. Um, and so you talk about the starting lineup. You have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell is your, your backcourt. And Mitchell is in, I would say, an MVP-type conversation. He's slowed down a bit from his ultra-hot start to the year, but he's still very productive. Um, Darius Garland still playing at a nice level, not quite as statistically impressive as he was the prior year, but that's to be expected. He's sharing more of the touches with another stellar backcourt guy. Uh, You have Karis LeVert, who's had – you know, I, I think they're maybe kind of experimenting a little bit with the rotation. It's either been Levert or Okoro at that small forward type spot, although it's really more like a three guard uh, starting group. Um, but you know, either of those guys makes the lineup work fairly well. And then your your front court, um, Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen. We mentioned Evan Mobley. Uh, he hasn't. He's had maybe the the plateau, the sophomore slump, whatever you want to call it, but he's still effective. I mean, he's he's a dynamic forward, uh, just about seven feet. I want to say six eleven, uh, oh, seven foot. Yes, seven foot power forward. He's like a Chris Bosh type, sort of, with the the scoring, the left handed rebounding. He's not really as much a stretch guy. He's been trying to get the three point shot going, but. Uh, a little bit of playmaking, but defensively he's very solid. 1.3 blocks per game this year, along with 0.7 steals. But then they've also got Jared Allen, more of a rim protector, 
almost 10 rebounds, 14 points, uh, one and a half, 1.2 blocks. And so, you know, they've got just a great core. And, you know, if you follow the NBA, I'm sure, you know, plenty about this, but they, um, their bench is, um, I like their bench. You know, they've got Kevin Love, who's now a reserve type role. And as he's getting older, but that's, that's a perfect, you know, bench guy to have with the stretch ability, still a great rebounder, um, plays that, you know, nice team game. You have Osman, who's interesting. I, I don't know if he'll be a huge part. I mean, he's still averaging 22 minutes a game. He has some interesting moments and he's been a productive guy in Cleveland for a while. Um, not sure what his exact role is going forward. Uh, you've got Dean Wade, who's a, a stretch forward. I mean, they've got some shooting there. They've got Rubio, a playmaker, and a nice backup point guard. Neto, another decent backup point guard. And Robin Lopez, the center. Not to mention Lamar Stevens, who was a two-way contract guy, but he's shown some flashes of some interesting uh, physicality as a, a forward. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a deep rotation as far as, you know, the – you know, 10 through 13 guys, the guys that maybe you don't have to play very many minutes in a playoff situation, they can still produce if you need them to, you know, if there's injuries, the team can still kind of hang their, you know, say, keep their head above water. They have, uh, you know, a lot of great starting caliber players. If one guy goes out for a while, you can still be a winning team. Um, but you of course hope that all these guys stay healthy. And for the most part, they have this so far in the season, knock on wood, hopefully, you know, they can maintain that where they've, they've been a great team at points. They've been maybe a top five team in the NBA. Uh, they've, they've lapsed a little bit lately. I think Donovan Mitchell maybe, you know, has cooled off a bit. Um, and you know, teams are kind of finding, figuring them out a little bit better, but they're still winning. They're still playing great basketball right now. And I guess that's just kind of the summary of, you know, it's similar to the Bucks when we did that franchise focus. There's not much you can really say other than what Cleveland's done so far up to this point. And you give credit to, uh, you know, Kobe Altman, who's been the executive since um, LeBron's second stint, towards the end of LeBron's second stint. You know, he's, he's made the right moves, uh, you know, pulled the right pieces, put new pieces in at, at good times. And he's got Cleveland as a top team in the East yet again, and a fairly short turnaround. Do you think about losing a guy like LeBron um, just four or five years ago? You compare that to when he went the first time to Miami. Cleveland was nowhere near this level of progression back to being you know competitive in the East. And so they've done a great job. Bakerstaff, I had my doubts at certain points as far as you know, what, what kind of a coach he would be, but you know, these last two seasons have really kind of flipped my mind, my naive point of view on that and showed that, Hey, he's a pretty good coach, you know, and he's really uh, making this roster work, making it win, uh, keeping it winning when they have, you know, maybe things that are going wrong or things that uh, don't roll their way as far as an injury or maybe, uh, you know, tough stretch of games, they keep things going. Um yeah, not really too much I can add. They're in a great direction. I'm excited to see what the rest of this season and potential playoffs brings for this uh, this Cavs team. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had to get a drink there, but 
yeah, great direction so far. And, you know, it's interesting. You look at the Cavs history, they, as much as they've had certain stretches where maybe they, they struggle. If you think of the late nineties, early two thousands, the, the first post LeBron years, you know, 2010 to 2014, um, the eighties, there was a good run in the eighties where they struggled. They've also had a lot of stretches of really competitive Eastern conference teams you know lebron of course is the first one you think of but the 70s had teams and the 90s especially and that's where we're going to go for our historic team from this franchise's history to look at we're looking at the 1992 cleveland cavaliers and it's interesting because if you've heard about you know different like these 90s Cavs teams you maybe have focused on the 89 Cavs. i mean they had uh I think a little bit better. Well, maybe not. They, it might have been pretty close. No, the exact same record. 57, 25, 57 wins, 25 losses. Um, they had a potentially more talented lineup because this that team had Ron Harper. The 89 Cavs had Ron Harper as their shooting guard matched up against Michael Jordan in those divisional games and, of course, the playoffs. In the 89 playoffs, they lost in that first round. It was an upset to the Chicago Bulls who were uh, a sixth seed that year versus the Cavs third seed. But that team, you know, they had Ron Harper. They unfortunately lost him uh, either trade or contracts. So I forget the exact reasons why they couldn't keep Ron Harper on the squad, but they, you know, they rebounded. They made it work with, you know, Craig Elo and some other uh, nice players. And then you look at, Nine, the 92 season and they have the same record and this is a team that goes to the conference finals and plays an ultra competitive series with Chicago you know it's it they weren't too far from making it to the finals the the 90s Cavs if you really look at it and think about it and and that's I kind of just want to highlight this team and you know give them some some respect some appreciation for what they were able to do in a, a fairly competitive you know 90s and uh, of course the east you know you had the pistons and the celtics on the downturn the bulls were the team but the Cavs were still able to give them a run for their money at least that year um, but yeah 57 and 25 the head coach lenny wilkins one of the all-time coaching greats i would say uh, he won a championship um in uh, Seattle, one of his first head coaching jobs. Um, and then he coached in Cleveland, of course. He's coached in Atlanta, uh, you know, a bunch of different places. He's been a great coach and a great executive, Wayne Embry. Great job building this roster. And uh, let's talk about that roster. Yeah, they had, of course, if you're talking about the 90s Cavs, you're talking about their quote-unquote big three. Mark Price, Brad Doherty, and Larry Nance. And those are guys who are all all-stars at various points in their career. All, you know, all NBA type guys. Mark Price, if you listen to Isaiah Thomas talk, during this era, for, you know, for about three or four years, Mark Price had a great run. He was maybe one of the top point guards in the NBA. Uh, certainly ahead of his time as far as the three-point ability. He shot 38 to nearly 39% from three and shot nearly four three-pointers a game. A, a game. That was very you know, kind of unheard of for this era, or at least the proficiency and him being a, you know, 
such a willing shooter as a point guard, but he was a distributor as well. 7.4 assists along with some scoring 17 points a game. He had Larry Nance kind of at the tail end of his career, but still effective. He was a great defensive forward. Of course, we know him for the, the, the dunks and the dunk contest and his son being a great dunker as well, Larry Nance Jr. But uh, yeah, great productive forward. Again, he was an all-star at certain points in his career, 17 points, eight rebounds, three assists. So solid game there, but the defense, three blocks and one steal per game, great defensive numbers. And then of course, Doherty, uh, the starting center out of uh, UNC. And he was just, you know, 20 and 10 guy, uh, would block some shots, not a prolific shot blocker, but would block some shots. He would, he would make the right play out of the post. He was a very solid center and an all-star caliber center. Uh, definitely the guy you want going up against like a Patrick Ewing, uh, you know, Moses Malone in the early eighties um, in the you know later nineties. If you're talking about the West teams, you have of course, Akeem and uh, David Robinson and, you know, a lot of other great centers. So it's a great three-man group. That's what you're going to talk about first. You have Elo now instead of Ron Harper starting at shooting guard. And Craig Elo was solid. Of course, people remember Elo for, you know, him being the background to Jordan's playoff game winner in 89 and Jordan's fist pumping and and celebrating. And if you're talking about Elo guarding Michael Jordan, I mean, Elo is a fine defensive player, but that's, you know – you're not going to really, you're going to be hard pressed to find someone who can defend Michael Jordan uh, and really stifle him. But he was a solid guard and he fit their lineup, you know, 12 points, five rebounds, four assists, and a steal a game on great percentages. He shot 41% from three. Um, and then you've got really nice depth. I love the two guards coming off the bench. Well, you have three, I guess. John Battle, a nice little scoring guard. Um, not not really a shooter, but a scorer, a little demeanor. He's a, what, 6'2"? Yeah, 6'2 guard. Um, but the other two guards, the point guards, you have Terrell Brandon and Steve Kerr coming off the bench. And this is one of those things people forget that Steve Kerr was with the Cavs for a good chunk of his career before he went to Chicago and the Bulls. Um, so you have Steve Kerr and his shooting off the bench along with Terrell Brandon before he broke out as an all-star himself. So you've got a lot of great guard ability off the bench. Hot Rod Williams, underrated reserve forward slash center. Uh, this season, he averaged 12 points, seven rebounds, and two blocks a game. Perfect guy you can plug in, in you know, to fill in for Nance or for Doherty when they're uh, resting. And then Mike Sanders became the starting small forward for this team. And he's more just, you know, glue guy, uh, did the right things in the lineup, like, you know, seven and a half points, three rebounds, two assists, uh, solid shooting. You know, he'll, he'll hit an open shot. He'll make the pass within the system to, to keep the team rolling. And so you've got that great rotation. I love, you know, I love this team and their lineup. You also have Danny Ferry come off to bench in his first few years in the NBA. Um, and then Bobby Phil's, hidden on the bench. One of the guys who would go on later to become like a, an all defensive type guy uh, just a few years later in 96. So you've got plenty of depth with this team. Um, Very talented group. And uh, yeah, they, they, 
they beat the New Jersey Nets in the first round, three games to one. Back then, the first round was a best-of-five game series. Um, they've narrowly beat the Boston Celtics in the semifinals, four to three. So that set up the rematch with the Bulls in the conference finals. And unfortunately, they lost that two to four for our purposes, looking at this team. Unfortunately, um, they lost two to four to the Chicago Bulls. Again, you think about that series and, you know, just a few changes, a few more things swing your way. And may, suddenly you're looking at the uh, the possibility of going to the finals or certainly it being, you know, a, a seven game series. Um, but again, just just thought it'd be worth highlighting this team and what they were able to do in the 90s. Um Kind of the same story of a lot of teams in this era. You know, if it weren't for Michael Jordan, you know, who knows what this team could have accomplished as far as finals. Championship might be a bit much. If you think about the West teams at this time, the West teams were certainly a bit more uh, deep with the Trailblazers, the the Jazz, the Spurs coming into their own with David Robinson supersonics starting to find their groove. I think George Carl, this might've been his first year or second year. Um, the Rockets, even though they were kind of slumping with Hakeem, they, you know, they're still playoff bound. The Suns, you know, the very next year getting Barkley, but even before that, they were a great Western conference team. So, um, but a championship could have happened. It's hard, you know, you can't say it, it wouldn't have, but um, yeah, just a great team. Again, thought we'd appreciate what they were able to do in the 90s. Um, but we did also mention those 70s teams. Those were some great teams, too. And one of the key parts of those teams, although if you're a stat head, you might not always realize why, was Austin Carr. So this is our player we're going to talk about. We're focusing on a specific player from that franchise's history. And we're going to talk about Mr. Cavalier himself. How can you not pick a guy when you're talking about a franchise and some of its great players, the Cleveland Cavaliers, how can you not pick a guy whose, whose nickname was Mr. Cavalier? Uh, he was the first uh, overall pick for the Cavs when they had that pick in the 1971 draft. Uh, I think that was after their very first season. And you look at, again, his resume doesn't jump out at you. I mean, he was a one-time all-star. He was an all-rookie team member. Uh, and his stats were good. I mean, his uh, he missed half of the season his rookie year, and then the next two seasons he averaged. Uh, but through all three seasons, even though he missed half that first one, through all three of those he averaged uh, just about 21 points a game. The last of those he was an all-star. A uh, little under four rebounds, three and a half assists, and a steal a game on for the time maybe a bit low percentages 44 percent uh not terrible for that era but maybe not the best it could have been um and then yeah still struggled with injuries in 75 average went down to 14 and a half 76 it was 10 points a game and that was also his lowest minutes per game uh the rest of his tenure in cleveland he would get it back up and down at times 16 points and 12 points and 17 points uh then 11 then he would his last season, he would spend split between Dallas and Washington, and that would be the end of his career. And so you look at that and you wonder, okay, he was, he was an all-star once. He was Mr. Cavalier, but what's so remarkable about him? But first, he was part of that 1976 Cleveland team that uh, 
you might have heard about the the miracle at Richfield is what they're called that because they played in the Coliseum at Richfield, uh, kind of outside Cleveland. But that team is one of the more remarkable and memorable teams in Cleveland Cavaliers history, certainly maybe even Cleveland sports history. The 76 Cavs who we're talking about, their record was 49 and 33. They were a great, you know, a good team in the East uh, first in the central division. And then they won their first round playoff series in an upset against the Washington Bullets who had been to the NBA finals just the prior year. So the Cavs go to the conference finals and they lose two games to four versus the Celtics. And there's a lot of people who say uh, if it weren't for some key injuries and some, some other things, excuse me, of that nature that the Cavs could have very well gone to the finals that year against the Phoenix Suns. It's hard to say for sure. Um, you know, there's always that, that what if game, but it was a great team. And Austin Carr was like a, he was a bench piece for that team. Um, played well for them more in a reserve role. At that point you had Bingo Smith, probably more at your shooting guard spot, but uh, with Austin Carr coming off, coming off the bench just because of the, those injury issues. Um, but he was a, uh, you know, bench piece for that, that, uh, that, excuse me, that miracle team, the miracle Richfield team. So that's one reason to talk about him. Um, another reason to talk about him is his post-playing career and his job as the color commentator for uh, the Cavs. Well, let's see, they're currently on Bally Sports Ohio. And I think that's gone under some different names. Um, like my... Yeah, at Fox Sports Ohio, uh, Sports Channel. Uh, so it, it's gone under some different names, but uh, he's been the color commentator for the Cavs for a while. And he's one of the more memorable ones. If you watch LeBron's highlights, a lot of the times the voice you're hearing is Austin Carr talking about those games. And uh, I believe he's still doing it. He's a great color commentator. He has a great job. He's got a lot of great taglines, um, signature calls, throws the hammer down for a Cavs slam dunk. If you want to look at his Wikipedia page, Austin Carr's Wikipedia, it shows you a bunch of signature calls. He hits it deep in the rock. They call, he calls it the rock now because it's Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Before that, when it was Quicken, Quicken Loans Arena, deep in the queue. Um, there might have been some others even before that. Um, get that weak stuff out of here. He, he just does a great job. Um, he even, uh, let's see. Yeah. He, he's a four time lower great lakes Emmy award recipient, uh, in 2014, 2017, 2018 and 2022. So, uh, yeah, he does a great job with those. Um, and those are the two main reasons you could also talk about his college career. He was a standout at Notre Dame. Uh, he's, Re, uh, frequently listed as one of the great college players of all time on, you know, different rankings online and things of that nature. Um, you know, great high school career, of course, but uh, he's just one of those guys that, you know, he can kind of slip through the cracks when you think about it. He's, you know, he was an all-star, but he was, by the time that team was having its best team success, he was a bench guy. He struggled with injuries, retired early, and then became a color commentator. And that's maybe what he's most recognizable or most noteworthy for. 
and that's fair. But I think it's also worth giving him a little bit more attention, recognizing what he was, you know, kind of where he contributed to the Cavs. If you think about him in his early years, you know, the first real star for an expansion Cavaliers team, I think that's certainly worth noting, you know, recognized still as Mr. Cavalier, even after a, a storied history and even greater players coming down the line. Um, you know, even the LeBron James, the greatest player in the franchise's history, is not called Mr. Cavalier, you know, and that's not any kind of comparison because there's not really a comparison between the two players, but it's just kind of a mark to his contribution to this franchise, especially in its early moments. Um, Yeah. Hopefully that seemed valuable. I think it's valuable and I think it's always great looking back at, you know, any player's history, especially a player like this, who's done a lot in the world of basketball, not just on the playing floor, but, commentating on what happens on the playing floor so anyways uh that takes care of our first of our bonus episodes again uh we will do another bonus episode just shortly after this uh where we talk about the boston celtics and we'll do a franchise focus for them Uh, but once again thanks for listening and we'll be back with that in just a moment